Surprised to hear my voice? Well, here is a treat for you during this spooky season. Welcome to this bonus episode of What the Actual F. My name is Harmony and let's begin because I've got a big one for you. <laughs> That's what he said. No, but for real, all seriousness. Okay, there is this case that I saw a while ago and then I watched a movie and you're probably gonna know this movie if you happen to like Jack Black. Jack Black did a movie called Bernie. And if you don't know this, this movie is actually based on a true story. Shocking to hear that Jack Black, this comedy icon, did a true crime movie. However, they put their own spin and made it like comedy. Not exactly the best look because this is a very serious case. And I want to talk about that. Marjorie Nugent was the richest widow in an eccentric town that was also full of other rich widows. Bernie was an assistant funeral home director who became her companion. However, when she suddenly disappeared, nobody seemed that alarmed. And then, when Bernie would confess to killing her, nobody seemed outraged. Nobody seemed that mad. At first glance or first listen, this tale appears to be that of a cold-blooded killer and a helpless victim. But the real story of Bernie and Marjorie aka Marge, is much more complicated. While the facts of the case have never really been in any dispute, Bernie's motivation for murdering Marjorie, however, and his subsequent behavior in the months after the crime have been debated for years. And it doesn't hurt that the story got a Hollywood treatment. You know, when Jack Black starred as Bernie and they made it kind of like this soapy comedy version of events in which he, not Marjorie, was the victim. So what's the real truth behind Marjorie and Bernie? So here is the true story behind the morgue, the mortician, the murder, and the movie. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, let's begin. 815 to 10, rock history. Hollywood A-lister Jack Black is known for his iconic roles in School of Rock, the voice of Poe in Kung Fu Panda, and the dark comedy Bernie, based on the murder of a wealthy widow in East Texas. The thing about playing Bernie is that Room service. he's lovable, and it's really important to Bernie that he be loved. My name is Bernie Tita. You may have heard about me. They did a movie about me. We are heading to Carthage, Texas, where Marge lives and Bernie works at the local funeral home. Carthage is located in deep east Texas, about two and a half hours from Dallas. Now, according to Texas Monthly, which did many, many articles on this case, Bernie was a well-liked guy and popular in town. Marjorie, or Marge, meanwhile, was often perceived as, uh, kind of crotchety, apparently. Like, those are the actual words used, crotchety. According to this, the fact that he was well-liked and sort of just, you know, really nice, and she just wasn't, it was kind of a surprise when the two of them were just like, oh yeah, we're totally besties. Just all of a sudden became friends, and the whole town was like, this is... This is weird, right? This is a little bit odd. However, when Marge's husband died, Bernie was the one that embalmed him and even sang at his service. 
It was there, at her husband's service, where Bernie met Marge, and the two of them made this unusual connection and started their path as friends together. I say friends, but they really were like besties, because from this moment forward, it seems as though they just became kind of like, inseparable. In the following years, Bernie would actually quit the funeral business, and he would go into business with... I don't, he didn't really go in the business with Marge, he kind of like made Marge his business. Yeah, we're gonna go with that. He went into the Marge business. At this point, Bernie was sort of like a traveling companion for Marge on like cruises or just like, you know, a trip over to Thailand. Maybe they'd go to Egypt or France or just like, you know, go fly somewhere and just have a nice little vacation together because that's what they would do. But besides going on these trips all over the world and just traveling and having a grand old time, he also sort of became like her caretaker. And I mean this in every single word that I can. He would tweeze hair that would grow in unsightly places, and I mean like he literally would get in there for her. We're getting like nose hairs, chin hairs, he would clip her nails, toes, and fingers. Basically, he made sure that she was doing fantastic and they traveled and just went everywhere together. He was there for her. So much so that at some point, Marge decided to change her will to make Bernie, you guessed it, the beneficiary. <gasps> for those of you who do not know what that means, that means that is motive. Why is that motive? Because money now comes into play, and a lot of it. Because now that he is her beneficiary, guess what he is entitled to inherit? A $5 million estate. This also means, because she did this, that she left her estranged son just out in the cold. Just a big, fuck you, you ain't getting shit, buddy. I may have birthed you, but uh, Bernie's wiping my ass for me, thanks. Sorry, but that's basically how it went. At this point, according to Bernie's account, is that Marge had grown demanding and extremely controlling. She made him check in regularly by phone and even would get extremely angry if he was late with like calling or when they had to meet up somewhere. If he didn't show or if he wasn't there on time, she apparently would get irate. In his confession to police, he says that despite this like pattern of her screaming and getting so angry, quote, he was afraid to leave her, that she could be very vindictive. Okay, let's just, let's say something. Um, she was extremely old. Not saying that it doesn't matter your age, you can't be manipulative and vindictive and controlling, but she was also extremely old. I, I just, I, I don't know. It's kind of like to me, old people and children, you gotta, you gotta be a little lax. Like, you gotta have patience. Anyways. Not giving excuses, just letting you know she's old and uh, I just don't think I see his side. But we're gonna continue and maybe you're gonna think that Bernie is a fantastic guy and maybe he didn't do it. At least not the way it's gonna seem like he did. Because some people really think he's a good guy and then other people don't. Would love to know what you guys think at the end of this. Just how big a case was this? is this for the people of Carthage and, and in East Texas? Well, like I say, it's a bit of Texas folklore. It's gonna be here probably long after I'm gone. They've done so many different things on Bernie. Uh, years ago, they had uh, some folks came through here and they they made a video, they interviewed Danny Buck and, and Sheriff Jack and all that, and so many others that were directly involved at that time. And so this is, I can't agree with Howard. This is going to be ongoing. It's it's not going to stop today. 
It's not going to stop tomorrow. It's going to keep on because this is part of East Texas. This is part of Carthage. That's what really put Carthage on the map is the Bernie case. But I, I, I think, you know, 50 years from now, if you can go online and check out Texas Monthly or, look, or do an online search for Texas murders, this is going to pop up. This is big. Yeah. Now, despite the fact that Carthage actually sort of has like this dueling history with itself, totally true. It actually has two different historical museums about its own self. One is located on one side of its town square and the other one's on the other side. The Panola County Historical Jail Museum and the Panola County Heritage Museum and Texas Tea Room. Totally different histories about the place. Anyways, now that you are very aware with like oh, where we're at and sort of what we're talking about, let's just like begin. But like for real, for real. <laughs> Not intro, begin. So Carthage made it into the 1995 edition of the 100 Best Small Towns in America. It was considered an immensely likable place. Just a real homey, comfy vibe, like people helped each other here. Cathargenians, and yes, that is what they like to be called, are also extremely conservative politically and socially, which makes it a little crazy to imagine that Bernhardt tied the second who moved there in 1985 would end up becoming one of the most popular people in the town because, uh, well, he wasn't really conservative. He also wasn't like a lot of the men that lived in Carthage as well because they would hang out at uh, the barbershop and just kind of like do their own thing. However, Bernie didn't. He really didn't, this didn't. However, like his differenceness, like his differenceness, his difference in just how he was and what he did, like I mean, he was a mortician. That's obviously already got you kind of like the weirdo in town, which side note, God, I really have been debating going to school for that because it just sounds really fun. You get to hang out with dead people. I mean, score again, super weird person here. But yeah, like he was the mortician, which already made him stand out in this town and he kind of kept to himself, but was like really nice to everybody also, which show he wasn't really to himself. He just didn't do what others did. I don't know how to explain him. He was different, but people liked him. Yeah. There were a lot of people though that sort of speculated on Bernie's sexuality, which I don't know why it fucking matters because in my opinion, what someone does in the bedroom shouldn't fucking matter to you, it just shouldn't. Unless you plan on being in said bedroom, shut the fuck up. If you are not getting anywhere near someone's downstairs mix up, why does it matter what they do with it and with who? I just don't fucking get it. So I'm not gonna focus on that. People have their own things on what they think if Bernie's into one thing and not the other. Okay, cool. The point of it is uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that did he kill somebody? So let's just move forward, okay. So despite questions about his own personal life that are personal to him, the citizens really took a shine to him. Bernie clearly loved this little small town and the life that came with it. At First United Methodist, Bernie was the tenor soloist in the choir, and he taught Sunday school, and sometimes when the minister was sick or on vacation, he would even give the sermon. An elderly member of the church would even say, and I quote, let me tell you, he was doggone better than the paid preacher. I don't know why I just gave that imaginary, but like, based on a real person character, a slight accent. Also, don't know why I'm whispering. Oh, hey, we should take an audio break. Okay, talk to you on the other side. 
The real Bernie story made headlines in 1997, when Bernie, a beloved funeral home mortician, did the unthinkable to his close friend, Marjorie Nugent. He picked up a gun, he shot her four times in the back, and that he buried her in her own deep freeze. Texas Monthly writer Skip Hollinsworth, whose story inspired the movie, says the relationship had an unusual beginning. In 1990, the town's leading banker and oilman, Rod Nugent, dies. I embalmed his body and got him ready for the funeral. Bernie assisted at the funeral and within months became Marjorie Nugent's constant companion, reaping the benefits of her $6 million fortune. Go away, They had a ball together. They traveled the world. He stole her money? Alexandria Nugent says Bernie saw her grandmother as a mark. When he was about to be found out, he shot her and killed her. Tita confessed to the crime and was sentenced to life in prison. The story fascinated Oscar-nominated director Rick Linklater. I think the film is asking the question, can the nicest person in the world be capable of the worst act? So Bernie was born in Tyler, Texas. However, he spent his early years in Kilgore. This is about a 45-minute drive from Carthage. His father was the chairman of fine arts department at Kilgore Junior College, and sadly his mother had died in a car accident when Bernie was just three years old. After his father remarried, he moved Bernie and his younger sister to Abilene, Texas. Sadly though, when Bernie was 15, his father would die of a long illness meaning he had to start supporting himself and his sister. This is when Bernie took an offer for an after-school job at the Abilene Funeral Home. First, he just did some yard work and then he ended up helping out at the funerals themselves. His sister says that she thinks that he really does like all that he did because he was lonely. He lost his mom and his dad and he just, he felt so alone that he didn't want anybody else to feel that. So he served them in their time of need when they felt so alone because they had just lost somebody they loved. Like he knew that grief so well that she said this really called to him. In fact, quoting later on, a woman by the name Paula Carter actually says this about him and his like funeral job was uh, he brought a lot of compassion to Carthage because he himself was full of compassion. So it's just like really weird to think Bernie being this compassionate man who got into the funeral work and like working at funeral homes because he knew what it was to lose somebody to death. Yet, like, knowing it's really sad to lose somebody, he would go forward and murder somebody? I don't know. Anyways, it does go on such that, like, when people did come to the funeral homes that he worked at, he would go above and beyond. Like, he sewed curtains for people who had lost family members. He got them clothing. He did things that were needed and, like, that they just didn't know where to begin. He was there. He basically did everything that he could do. He would talk to you when you needed. He would be there for you. He knew what it was to be grieving and he wanted to have your back. And that's what many people stated about him. He would go on to help people with taxes and he would even buy gifts. People would buy him gifts. It actually got so bad that he began buying himself so many gifts that uh, his friends, once he moved to Carthage, started noticing that the trucks were coming a lot because he was ordering so much stuff from catalogs. Seems like he liked to spend money. But I'm getting ahead of myself because he's not just yet in Carthage. So Bernie did receive an associate's degree in mortuary science from the McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. 
He then worked for a funeral home in town and in 1985 came to work in Carthage. He lived in a small apartment just behind Hawthorne Funeral Home and began his job. He was actually considered to be one of the most qualified young men who applied. In fact, it was actually stated he was probably the most qualified young man that had ever been seen because of well, his schooling and all the work he'd already done. But one thing that really stuck out to me is how someone said he had a talent of making the hair of the deceased look really natural. He was a darn good embalmer. Sometimes you couldn't even tell they were dead. It's just eerie because, well, he would make somebody dead and nobody seemed to notice for a little while. Guess he really was good at his job, hiding death. And this one was great. I love uh, Linklater's ear for Texas. I think he is a phenomenal ear for small towns and for mm -hmm. Texas and for the way people really are. Can you talk about the research you did in terms of playing these real people? Because that there's a shot in the film where you're actually talking to Bernie. Yeah. Well, I got to meet the actual Bernie. That was the most important piece of research, just to see the man in person and, and uh, listen to his voice and watch his walk and things like that. But... Uh, I also had a lot of videotape because he was a public figure, you know, he's immensely popular guy in, in Carthage. Now, Bernie did seem to favor the elderly widows when their husbands would pass away and then they would come in and have their service at the funeral home in Carthage. He would be at their side as they came in. He would walk them into the parlor to a couch where he would watch them cry, hand them tissues, and tell them what to expect during the process. Then when the funeral would come, he would be at the widow's side, just standing there and often catching them when they fainted as their husbands were lowered into the earth. He would then, after the funeral, reach out to the widows and see if they needed anything. You know, like getting medicine from the drugstore, going to get groceries, just helping them. Many of the widows loved this so much about Bernie. In fact, several of them actually told their children to have Bernie sing at their funeral when they passed away. Because Bernie would sing at their husbands. And, well, Bernie loved to sing. Now, Carthage was full of rich widows. However, Bernie wasn't partial to outright them being wealthy. He just favored older widows, it seemed. One of the first women he took a special interest, though, was Gracie Duke. She was the widow of a mechanic. When Gracie complained about the aches in her bones, Bernie felt so sorry for her that he took her to the hot springs in Arkansas, Also, she could sit in the baths of that heat. But he would eventually give the most attention to the richest widow in Carthage. And that is why we're here. Mrs. Marjorie Nugent. She arrived at Hawthorne in March of 1990 for the funeral of her husband, who was worth between $5 million and $10 million. And from here forward, <laughs> Marjorie plays a very big role in this. Murder. He was standing in the church, preaching, telling people about the word of God. How many Sundays before that had he thought about committing murder while he's preaching the gospel? Marjorie Midyet, before she was Nugent, was born in 1915 just outside of Carthage. She went on to attend Louisiana Tech where she would meet Rod Nugent. The two would end up getting married and having one son together named Rod as well, so he's a junior. And they would move and live throughout Louisiana, New Mexico, and Texas. Then in 1989, Rod Sr. would end his career and take his wife to her hometown. 
He bought controlling interest in the first national bank of Carthage, and the couple built a huge 6,000 square foot stone house at the edge of town. I say house, but it's more like a manor or an estate. I, I, I don't, a very big place. So at this point, curious neighbors wanted to know who the hell these people were and who was this woman. It wasn't long before Marjorie was the talk of Carthage. Many people were wondering who was she and why was she not coming out and why was she refusing to speak to her very own sister as well because she was also a resident of Carthage and people were really starting to talk about the two. Apparently, she had a fight with her sister in the 80s over their deceased mother's estate. Marjorie also had so many disagreements with her son who had become a prominent Amarillo pathologist that she would only occasionally speak to him. According to most locals of Carthage, she acted as if she was too good for the town. Quote, if she had only held her nose any higher, she would have drowned in a rainstorm. Yeah, some people were really negative about her. Some people just went on to say that she was rude, she was very conceited, and she just really looked down on any and everybody, it seemed. She didn't contribute much to the town, and she didn't participate in any activities, it seemed. It actually seemed as though she hated to spend money around the town. When a local veterinarian told her that he would charge her $45 for treating her dog, she argued with him until he lowered this price. I'm sorry, if I could find a vet that would take my dog for $45, I would be there all the time. That would be my dog's vet. And here's this woman who also doesn't really need to pinch pennies like that. And she's like, I'm sorry, you want me to pay for you to take care of my dog? <laughs> you thought peasant. It seems as though she was just very hoity-toity, you know, very, uh, <laughs> So I guess what you can kind of get from, uh, from Marjorie at this point is that she's, she's kind of stuck up and puts her nose up to everybody and seems as though they're beneath her. But she also doesn't want to spend any of her money. But hey, I'm not just like sitting here putting smudge on her name. I'm, I'm telling you that even people close to her said that she was extremely critical. And she would also lash out at people who disappointed her. Quote, if she liked you, she sent you lovely birthday cards and thank you notes. But you had to cater to Margie and you had to constantly flatter her. She could throw a temper tantrum if everything didn't go her way. This was said by a close relative of her who has wished to remain anonymous. They go on to state that it seems as though Mrs. Nugent seemed to uh, lapse into a lot of clinical depression Quote, it was like these blue periods came on, and when they did, she could be very biting in her comments to people. Margie was a very difficult woman to love. So it seems as though because Margie had depression, she would fall into these lows and she would be pretty, pretty shitty to people, it is just to put it bluntly. But she was doing this to everybody, it seemed. Now, much of the gossip about her, I'm sure, was absolutely exaggerated. She couldn't have been that horribly unfriendly because her and Bernie did become close, but he did seem to favor a lot of the widows. So was it because she just had a very nice and warm personality to him? Or was his motive seeing dollar signs? Cha-ching, cha-ching, you decide. I am not fond of cremations. I just don't like the idea of someone spending eternity in something the size of a motel ice bucket. <laughs> He was the nicest guy in town. He was about the most popular man in Carthage. Real people, person. Just made you feel real good about yourself. It's like he cast a spell over the entire area. Room service. And she was just a mean old widow. She used to tear up my toys. 
She pulled the heads off my dolls. Well, there's some goodness in there, too. Who says opposites don't attract? She doesn't have anyone. She's a very lonely person. She needs someone. Uh, you sure about that? From the director of School of Rock and Dazed and Confused. It was widely assumed that Bernie was accompanying her places. Oh, yeah. Bernie took her everywhere. They went to Russia, Acapulco, New York City. They went to Europe. Always first class. He bought jet skis, nine cars. Uh, this spring, somewhere along the way, it was just Bernie. He was her servant. She was demanding. You should have been here hours ago. Condescending. All I want is for you to be a man for once in your life. Even conniving. I know you hate me. No. Everybody else. I don't know how the guy stood it. A woman like that with a bad heart. He should just shut the pillow right over her face. There are people in town, honey, that would have shot her for five dollars. Everybody's describing Bernie Tilly as an angel. The nicest fellow I've ever met. He didn't do it. He's an angel, all right. An angel of death. <laughs> that dog don't hunt. Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, Matthew McConaughey. Wheel of misfortune. Your number comes up. Danny Buck's coming to get you first. Bernie. In freezer? Yeah. All one piece or chopped up? One piece. Frozen like a popsicle. In the months following her husband's funeral, it seemed as though Bernie and her grew close. Bernie began spending his days off with Mrs. Nugent, which actually ended up upsetting the other widows around town with whom he had spent much of his time over the years with and now he was focusing on her. One afternoon, Don Lipsy called Mrs. Nugent looking for Bernie. She told him Bernie was asleep in one of the bedrooms taking a nap, which started rumors around town. Then word spread that Mrs. Nugent had gone on a cruise, which was something her husband hadn't ever wanted to do. And wouldn't you know, a rumor spread that she had paid Bernie to go with her. And they even slept in the same cabin. <gasps> Gasp. I wonder if they did the hanky-panky. Actually, I, I don't care. However, rumors were flying all over Carthage. Was he trying to seduce this woman? Or was it the other way around? Was Marjorie trying to seduce Bernie? Brown chicka brown cow. Nonetheless, it seems as though Marjorie really enjoyed the companionship that she had with Bernie. And it seemed as though Bernie truly enjoyed her money. For Bernie, he was making a reported annual salary of about $18,000 at the funeral home. Mrs. Nugent's money, however, must have been a little bit more tempting. She was making between $200,000 and $300,000 a year in oil and gas royalty payments alone. Not talking about the existential wealth she already had. He was constantly behind in his American Express payments and he owed the IRS about $4,000 in back taxes. So they were kind of on the polar opposites of the monetary scale. Bernie was a bioholic as well, according to his sister. Quote, he not only wanted to experience the finer things in life, he loved buying as much as he could for others. He'd order the same items over and over, like three of the same chairs or boxes of cross pens, just so he could give them all away. Basically, Bernie was spending a lot of money, which he didn't really seem to have. Then in late 1993, Bernie told Don Lipsy that Mrs. Nugent had asked him to work for her, and of course, at a much higher salary than he was originally used to at the funeral home. 
This would be as her business manager and escort on trips around the world. At this point, Don Lipsy, who was sort of like this brute man, very conservative, had grown very fond of Bernie. Even though Don apparently thinks that Bernie is uh, on the, you know, other team, he talks horribly about him. Like, says all sorts of mean little things, like calls him tutti frutti and stuff. Like, it's just fucking rude. Nonetheless, he tells Bernie, I don't know what you think you're going to get from her. You're not even going to get a penny. So apparently Don looks at Bernie and is like, I know what you're trying to do. And it's not very smart. So like, maybe don't. He actually goes on and says, Mrs. Nugent is already so possessive of you. She's already making you drive out there every morning just to fix her coffee. Is this really what you want for yourself? To which, according to Don, Bernie replied, Deep down inside, she's a sweet woman. We will get along just fine. And yeah, they would for like just a few more years, but not many. We met with Bernie for just an hour. And because few members of the media have ever sat down with him in person, we learned right away that for 15 years, most people have been saying his name wrong. So I heard when you introduced yourself to Lynn, you said Tita. Yes. Tita, yes. Okay. Bernie Tita. So I get called everything. As long as they call me to lunch, I'm, I'm all right. Tita, the former East Texas mortician, was convicted of murdering Marjorie Nugent, a wealthy widow who he befriended when her mother and then her husband passed away. With money that Mrs. Nugent had advanced to him, Bernie started living the high life. He bought himself a two-bedroom house about a mile away from the Nugent estate. Just outside of his brand new home, he set out his collection of black and white plastic penguins in his front lawn. It was said that he liked penguins so much because they looked so well-dressed, according to him. He also hung white curtains in his living room window display and had a collection of more than 70 wristwatches in his hallway. He threw a Christmas open house inviting members of the Chamber of Commerce professors at the college, and anyone else in Carthage, along with many VIPs. One widow was there and took a look at the polished furniture and porcelain penguins on the side tables and said, quote, Bernie, you have created a dollhouse. It seemed as though he had such nice things in there that many people were noticing. His sister says that Bernie found himself living a dream. For the first time in his life, according to her, he got to be somebody. Bernie would go on to earn himself a pilot's license and buy himself a couple of small airplanes. He took Mrs. Nugent's seat on board of the First National Bank and then he regularly placed calls to Lloyd Tiller, which irritated this stockbroker to no end because Bernie was recommending them stocks that he thought he should buy for Mrs. Nugent or saying what he wanted to buy for her. To which Tiller's response would be, what do you know about the stock market, Bernie? Quote, you're nothing but an undertaker. This would lead to a very angry Mrs. Nugent then calling the Tillers and being very stern in her voice, stating if anybody ever spoke that way to Bernie again, they would be changing careers. Or she would you know, leave that company if that person wasn't fired for good. On their vacations that the two would have together, Bernie and Mrs. Nugent would travel all over the world. Sometimes they would travel just because they could. God, could you imagine? Hi, my name's Harmony and I am poor. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's sadly true. 
wanted to go out to eat, and I'd take her to go eat. We'd run to the Cherokee Club um, and different uh, places around town. And places out of town, often. We've been to Egypt, we've been to uh, uh, Hong Kong, we've been to Bangkok, Thailand, we've been to um, uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, France. She showered him with gifts. And she um, gave me money. She gave me $3 million. In exchange for all of his attention. Uh, it got worse and worse, and she was becoming more possessive of my time, my energies. Uh, I felt like I was in prison. Uh, now I know what that feels like, uh, but it was really bad. Bernie sure was living a glamorous life. But just as his friend Don Lipsy had warned him, he was paying a price for it. According to many of Bernie's friends, he had to have Mrs. Nugent's medicines laid out for him every day. Also, according to them, if he wasn't there at her house ready for lunch by 11.45, she would become extremely panicky, even going forward to call his pager incessantly until he arrived. If Bernie was visiting with anyone else, he had to constantly interrupt their conversation on regular intervals just to ask to use their phone in order to call Mrs. Nugent because she was berating his pager so much. And many people actually went on to testify to this. It has been kind of debated on why Bernie did what he did and thought that he could get away with all that he had. Maybe he thought he deserved extra pay for his services to Mrs. Nugent. Or maybe he thought he could do whatever he wanted with her money since he would be getting it when she died. So maybe it was just his money just with her in the way in his mind. Or maybe as his sister suggests, Bernie genuinely believed in the good of giving. But for whatever reason, Bernie became the town's Robin Hood. And all this unbeknownst to Mrs. Nugent. You see, he had started slipping money out of her hefty bank accounts and giving it to anybody that could use the help. Hey, <laughs> Bernie, I know I called you a murderer, but like, <laughs> uh, my cash app is available on my social media. I could use like a dime or two. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, no, I'm not. I could. Times are tough out here. But anyway, so he was basically taking from her and giving to others. He bought at least 10 cars for people who couldn't afford one of their own. And he would tell them, hey, don't worry about paying me back. Just pay me back whatever you can. You know, because it's not his money that he's giving out. So it doesn't really hurt him that it's not coming back. He provided scholarships to students at Panola College. He even bought a home for a young, struggling couple. And he pledged $100,000 to a new building campaign at Fort United Methodist. Oh, he also led fundraising drive for the Boy Scouts as well. So like, yay, something nice there. But he was still passing out her money like it was water and people were thirsty. When a woman who owned a local trophy shop told him that her business was failing, guess what Bernie did? He stepped in and bought it for her. This way, Carthage High School and youth sports team could get their trophies for another year. It seemed as though Bernie was on a one-man campaign to improve the town and culture of Carthage, giving away tickets to the college theater productions and paying for the expenses of the choir concerts. When a man who once worked with Bernie at the funeral home told him that he wanted to open up his own clothing store, guess what Bernie did? he agreed to put the funding to it, saying that Carthage needed its very own, quote, Neiman Marcus. However, that is not what the man opened. Instead, he opened a boot scootin' western wear. Nonetheless, though, it seems as though if you needed help, guess who was there for you? Bernie. But guess who was funding all of this? 
Mrs. Nugent. Wonder how she was feeling about this. I don't know exactly what caused that morning to happen. Uh, I called her and I said, we're going to Longview. Uh, I, I'm gonna run to take my, my clothes to the cleaners. Uh, would you like to ride with me? We'll go to Hunan's and eat some Chinese food. And she said, uh, yeah. And um, so I went out there to, to go and pick her up. And I don't know, it was just, uh, she was starting nagging at me. It's about something. He says still to this day, he doesn't know what got into him. And I don't know really. Uh, um, how, how that felt, but it, it felt like that because it was really, um, I got scared, you know, I got scared. This is where Mrs. Nugent sort of disappears. Thanksgiving of 1996, Bernie goes to his sisters alone. He tells her that Mrs. Nugent had decided to spend the holiday in Ohio with her sister that she is speaking to. Then, around Christmas, he begins decorating Mrs. Nugent's home. And when people ask him where she is, he says that she is still in Ohio. Early that spring, he began telling people, however, that Mrs. Nugent was in bed because of an illness and she wasn't accepting any visitors. By late spring, he said that she was in a nursing home outside of Carthage, where she was recuperating from having a stroke. He then told Lloyd Tiller, who was concerned that Mrs. Nugent had not answered any of the messages that he had left at her home phone, that she was losing her mind and maybe possibly even had Alzheimer's. Lloyd Tiller says he didn't entirely believe Bernie's explanation, but it never occurred to him that Bernie might have harmed her. Meanwhile, the maid continued coming to empty the estate and to clean the house. The yard men kept cutting the yard, and it seemed as though business was as usual at the estate. Bernie kept giving money for jet skis and pickup trucks. Bernie still continued giving away money and doing all he could for everyone. He even gave everyone at Panola College's production of Guys and Dolls a $200 gift certificate. That's right, you guessed it, to Boot Scootin' Western Wear, his friend's brand new clothing shop. So it seems that just because Marge isn't around doesn't mean her money isn't. In April, Bernie performed with the Shreveport Chamber Singers. His solo rendition of Stephen Foster's Beautiful Dreamer was so heartfelt that the audience gave him a prolonged standing ovation. Then in June, he went on a Carthage Chamber of Commerce trip to Nashville. On this trip, he made sure to pay extra attention to one of the widows that was on the trip, pushing her through the exhibit in her wheelchair. People just noticed and said, oh, that's just good old Bernie. Or maybe he was getting ready to uh, warm up his next target. This now brings us to July of 1997, when someone finally starts to realize that they hadn't talked to nor seen Mrs. Nugent in quite some time. An unidentified Carthage woman called the sheriff's department and said that she was actually worried about her asked if anybody had seen her at all. At this time, there were more pressing matters around town, so the sheriffs didn't look right into it, at least not for almost a month. Bernie, who they found in Las Vegas singing at a Panola College student's wedding, explained that Mrs. Nugent was staying in a hospital in Temple under an assumed name and she did not wish to be contacted. But deputies couldn't find anyone at the hospital who matched her description. They reached out to Mrs. Nugent's son in Amarillo and he came to Carthage with his eldest daughter in order to search the house. When she told a deputy how odd it was that the deep freeze had been taped shut, he took a look inside. 
And at the bottom, wrapped in a white sheet underneath some frozen food, was Mrs. Nugent. Not wanting to destroy evidence, the sheriff ordered his deputies to lift the entire deep freezer, with Mrs. Nugent still inside. They put it into a pickup truck and drove it to Dallas for an autopsy. Other deputies spread through town looking for Bernie at this point. This is when they found him preparing to take a team of Little League baseball players and their parents out to dinner. Bernie seemed so surprised that deputies wanted to talk to him and ask him questions about Mrs. Nugent. With officers looming over him in a small room at the sheriff's department, Bernie tried to keep his composure. But he grew increasingly nervous, and he finally calmly admitted to shooting Mrs. Nugent the previous November on the 19th. He said he had used the same gun that she made him buy to shoot armadillos. When asked why he killed her, Bernie looked at the officers in bewilderment, as if the answer was just obvious. He said, she became very hateful and possessive. It was just too much for me. And voila, that meant she had to die. What he ended up doing was hiding Marjorie's body in the freezer, where she stayed for nine months. Nobody even asked about it, really, but I made up some stuff, you know, I just... I thought, well, I'll just tend to that later. You could say he's still tending to it now, but he's hopeful he won't be in prison for the rest of his life. I have to do 30 flat years in here. Uh, unless I can get my sentence reduced, which I would like to attempt to do um, sooner or later. Some people say that you don't deserve all this attention. You don't deserve to have a movie made about you. What do you say to them? Perhaps I don't deserve a movie. I, I don't know what, who does deserve one. Uh, I don't know what makes a person deserve one. Um, um, but I would like to uh, um, just let everybody know that I, I'm, I'm very humbled by all of this. Bernie says he'd like to see the movie be successful for those who put the time and effort into making it. And he hopes one day he'll get to see it himself. In New Boston, Melanie Torrey, KLTV 7 News. There was a loud uproar in Carthage over Bernie's arrest. After a group of women tried to raise the money to meet Bernie's $1.5 million bond, the DA went to the Justice of Peace and filed additional theft charges against him. This was for stealing money from Mrs. Nugent's account after she died. And they got the bond raised to $2.7 million. IRS agents arrived in Carthage to charge Bernie with money laundering. It is estimated that he took more than $1 million from Mrs. Nugent. And Sheriff Ellett had this to say, certain Carthage men were seen on videotapes that were confiscated from Bernie's house. Soon, there were rumors that everyone from elected city leaders to a DPS trooper to a sheriff's deputy was seen on these tapes and engaging in what was described as misconduct. There was even t-shirts being worn around town that said, I'm only in Carthage, not on the videotapes. Some of Bernie's friends got together and hired famous East Texas criminal defense attorney Clifton Scrappy Holmes. This is when he immediately started to discuss a plea bargain for Bernie. However, it seemed as though it would be really tough to find an impartial jury in Panola County. Quote, a couple of people have said to me that Bernie deserves to fry for what he's done, according to Danny Buck. 
He went on to said, but I know there are a lot more that just want the whole thing to go away. They keep asking me if there aren't some extenuating circumstances that would help this defense, and I think, good god almighty, do people really think Mrs. Nugent was so mean to him that he had to shoot her in the back in self-defense? Basically, they don't know if anybody in that town, in that county, is going to see Bernie as innocent or a murderer. It may be too tough because they're either he's really guilty and he needs to fry or he's such a good guy, he really didn't mean to. Would be really tough to find the right kind of jury in Panola County, it seemed. This is really what happened. I mean, I did something horrible. And I, and I regret that every day for the rest of my life. And if they gave me 3,000 years in here, they could never take that away from me. I have to live with this every day of my life. And, 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 and Margie comes and talks to me all the time at night when I'm asleep. And, and I'm telling you, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. What drove Bernie, who was known to be one of the most gentle and most compassionate men in Panola County, to kill Mrs. Nugent? Many townspeople wonder if Bernie suddenly snapped and had a psychotic breakdown. They think he should plead temporary insanity at this point. Danny Buck assumes that Mrs. Nugent finally discovered Bernie was looting her bank account and that Bernie panicked and shot her all because he was afraid that she would expose him. But Bernie's sister says that when she phoned him in jail, he told her that there had been no particular problems that November day. They were about to go to Longview to run some errands and have lunch when suddenly Bernie picked up the rifle in the garage and started firing. He then dragged Miss Nugent into the kitchen and put her in the freezer. And he washed the blood off the garage floor with a garden hose. He said, I started thinking about having to live my life with her for the rest of her life. And I just couldn't take it. I realized I couldn't stand it another day. But why on earth did Bernie then leave Mrs. Nugent in the freezer for nine months? Yeah, sure, Bernie was used to being around dead bodies from his funeral home days, but I mean, this was a little different. Danny Buck admits that he probably never would have been able to file murder charges against Bernie if he had simply dumped her somewhere where she would have never been found, however. Quote, I don't understand why Bernie didn't just put her in one of his little airplanes and fly her over the Gulf of Mexico and kick her out. That was said by one of the town's widows. According to Bernie's sister, he said that he couldn't be so cruel as to just abandon Mrs. Nugent. Even though he could be so cruel as to kill her, he just couldn't leave her dead body anywhere else but, you know, in a freezer. Because that's not cruel at all. But according to Bernie, he said, I wanted to give Mrs. Nugent a proper burial. You know. Everyone needs a proper burial. However, this seemed to be in a freezer for nine months. He wanted to give her something that he just seemed to not get around to. I don't know, I don't know. Now, she did end up getting a proper burial in a small cemetery just outside of Carthage. Some of her relatives who hadn't even spoken to her in years, including her sister who lived in Carthage, came to the service. And one of Marjorie's granddaughters stood and sang Amazing Grace. And I do have to share with you a little tidbit before we move to the next section. One of the Carthage widows who had heard that a granddaughter of Mrs. Nugent had sang at her funeral asked if the granddaughter had sung well. She said she asked because she was looking for a soloist who could perform at her funeral. You know, since Bernie was going to be unavailable now that he was in jail. Darn. 
He, he's a decent human being that made a horrendous mistake. That I guess any of us are capable of that one manner or form, shape or another, you know, so. I'm not a bad person, you know. He, he murdered for, uh, for greed. I think he would be a danger to uh, elderly women who were financially well off. Now I know I left you on kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger there. But for those of you wondering, yes, Bernie was found guilty. He was sentenced to 99 years or life in prison. However, he will be eligible for parole as of August 3rd, 2029, which is the day after his 71st birthday. I would love to know what you think of this case, what you think of Bernie, what your standing is on it. Do you think that he's a victim somehow of Marjorie's bullying and constant um, manipulation as he claims that he just couldn't take it and therefore he just had to kill her? I don't really see that as an excuse. I mean, he could have just like cut ties and pieced out not caring about the money, but obviously we know people don't really care about money. After all, I'm here almost every week telling you about murder over money or, or love and, you know, bad things. As always, though, I would love to hear from you about this case or any others. Maybe you have one you want me to check out. Please send me an email if you do at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. However, I think that's going to do it for me this week. I do hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and I can't wait to talk to you on our next one. But for now, I think I'm going to actually watch Bernie and enjoy the rest of my day. I sure hope you enjoy the rest of yours and I'll talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual F. As always, stay safe, I love you, and please take care of yourself because I never want to tell a story about you. Bye!